How are we this morning? Good. It is, uh, it is always humbling and amazing time to be able to gather with the body of Christ, proclaiming the glory of Christ for the good of Christ, so that we might make much of Him and not much of ourselves. This morning when we sing, there is power in the name of Jesus, we, we sang that one little line, and I love it so much, where it says there's an army rising up, there's an There's an army rising up to break every chain. And I believe more than anything, this army isn't filled with Republicans or Democrats. It it, it isn't filled with Baptists or Methodists. The army of God has no preference over denomination or political party. And I I say that to lead in by this. This week, um, I don't know know if you read the Beacon, um, but we we put out a newsletter here at the church, and, and, and it was my time for the Beacon article which usually, if you're a staff member here, it usually kind of sneaks up on you. And uh, So I began to think about, what, what am I going to say? What am I going to write? What, are we gonna, what do I want to address and talk about? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James uh, chapter 2 today. But thinking about, what, what do I want to say and what do I want to write? And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get on anybody's case today. That's not my plan or, or my, my aim or my goal. But, but all over the place, I, I see often, and you might even be one of these people, I've been this person a bunch of times that, that, that you might have a flag in your yard or we might see a billboard and it says, pray for America. Everybody kind of comes behind America. Not, listen, I'm patriotic. My grandfather fought in the war. He, he passed away because he was breathing in fumes from a, a fighter jet deck. Like, I'm, okay, so, so I, I'm, I'm patriotic. I love our country. But, but this week I started thinking there's no difference between a lost American and a lost Iranian. There's, there's no difference between a lost person that calls themselves a Baptist or a lost person that calls themselves a Methodist. The problem with our country is not that we're not patriotic enough or haven't given God enough glory as our country, but it's that we just don't care about lostness a lot of times. We see and we anguish over America sometimes. And man, I, if, if you're there, I might, you might never come back, but hear my heart and love this morning. There are oftentimes people... They, they, they grab on to something like America, a country that will one day fail and fade and pass away, just like Rome and every other country that's ever been. And it will lead into and give way to a kingdom whose builder and maker is God. We're only here for a minute. Only here for a minute. And we're gone. So would it be this morning when we anguish in prayer or when we, when, we, when we stress in nervousness before the Lord, let it be for our lost brothers and sisters in America and in Iraq and Iran, Somalia and China and every other country on the planet. Let our heart break in angst over lostness, not patriotic duty. I'm off the soapbox. Let's go to James. James chapter 2, 14 through 25. A lot of people um, wrestle with this text because they feel like that there is an apparent contradiction to Paul's writing. Remember, Paul says, and even Titus, in Titus, Titus chapter 3, 4 through 7, it's not, it says it's not by righteous things that we've done, it's not by our own works, but it was the gift and mercy of Jesus Christ that was the way that we obtained this great salvation. 
Also, Paul says in Romans that it's, it's by grace. In Ephesians even, it's by grace we have been saved. Not the works that we've done. It's by grace. It's through faith. It's what He's done in us putting our trust in Him and Him calling us to repentance. There's no good work that we could ever do to attain such a great salvation. He did the work on the cross. We got that clear? Alright, so let's read this text together and find out why it is sometimes problematic. James uh, 2.14 says, What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with the... Excuse me, with his works and by works, which was made perfect. And the scripture was filled, which says, Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. There is our verse where oftentimes men feel very tense in the pulpit. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. We are about to tackle verse 14 through 26 and honor God by praying over his word. Let's pray. Father, it is very, very apparent how feeble and finite we are. God, we, we are persuaded this morning that we don't have all the answers God, Lord, that we don't have you figured out, and until we breathe our last and see you in glory, we will really not have a clue. So as we look at your text, as we look at your breathed out inspired word this morning, I pray that you give us humility to embrace your word, humility to see your grace in your word, and humility to be hearers and doers. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? It would be a better portion to even read it this way. What does it profit, brethren, if you say you have faith but you don't have works? Can that kind of faith save him? Can, can that kind of faith save him? This is what James is saying. He says, What good is it to claim Christ if there's no evidence of Christ? What good is it to tout that I'm a Christian or I'm a believer or to slap the, the Christian bumper sticker or the Jesus fish on our car or click it on our Facebook or social media and associate ourselves with Christ, but in reality look nothing like Him, speak nothing like Him, love nothing like Him? What does it profit? Let me say this, if you join a church or get baptized or even say you are a Christian, but there is no external evidence ever of salvation, if there's no fruit from your life, 
You have merely followed some religious ordinance without ever truly encountering the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as a minister of the Gospel, that's a hard thing to say a lot of times. But listen, if you're a fruitless person, at some point you said some prayer, you you, you think that joining the church saved you, being baptized saved you, and there's never been this outward expression of Christ-likeness in your life, you might just be lost. Statistics say from the Barna Research Group that, that, that over half of us that sit in church on Sunday mornings are probably lost. And even a portion of preachers in the pulpit don't know Jesus as Savior. They have an intellectual knowledge of Him, but no heart transformation. So I'm not singling you out. I'm pointing out the guys that do what I do. As a culture, we have been really good at intellectualizing the gospel and, and getting all the facts down in our ABCs and our FAITH. And we, we can... We can put it in our mind and we can, we, can, we can lock it in, but has it transformed our hearts? Has it changed us from the inside out? Because the point and purpose of the Gospel, the point and purpose of Jesus is not for you to, to be guiltless and just be guilt-free and free to frolic in yourself. No, you become a, a child of God. You become, Scripture says, a slave to Christ. He becomes your Lord. When you become a Christian, when you're converted by the power of the Gospel, you give up your rights and you become His. Scripture says in Romans, Clay, what are you that you would say anything to the potter? He is glorious and great and full of majesty to save us and bring us in, but be, let this be known today. There will be fruit from a believer. You say, TJ, are you sure? Does encountering Jesus really do this stuff that you talk about in Matthew chapter 12? You can flip there if you like. Because I don't want to leave you hanging. I want to show you the Word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. I want to read with you this account real quick. It says, Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if he falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and restored it as whole. So number one thing I want you to think about this morning. When you encounter Jesus, Matthew 12, verse 9, this man came with a physical handicap. His hand was withered. He couldn't write. Couldn't move it. It was contorted. He had a physical handicap. But encountering Jesus changed his physical being forever. He was changed. He was changed. You can't look at Matthew 12 and 19 and say that when we meet Jesus that He doesn't heal us. When you meet Jesus, when you encounter Him, and it may be a process of counseling, it may be a process of years, but if you have met Jesus, He begins to heal your soul. He can heal your body. He can heal your mind. He can heal you emotionally. Jesus is the great physician. Have we forgotten that? That He is the great physician that can heal mind, body, and soul. He's the great physician that can heal. So this morning, if you you are there, and you say, man, I, I have a soul that needs healing. I have a brain that needs healing. I have limbs that need healing. I, I, have, I have ailments. There's one you can go to who will not shame you. His name is Jesus. Because when you encounter Him, things change. Number two, 
not only does he not only does he heal us when we encounter him i love this he enlightens us ephesians 1 and 18 says it like this we'll start in 17 and the god of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father in glory, may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, his inheritance in the saint, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Not only does he heal us when we encounter him, but he, he enlightens us. He flips the switch on. Those of us who, who were, were lost in our own sinful ignorance and arrogance, He flips the switch on and we call it conviction and He fills us with the Holy Spirit. So when we encounter Jesus, not only does our, our, our bodies and minds, He begin to heal us, but also He begins to enlighten us. He begins to show us the Scripture, show us the way to life. So if you say, I, well, I prayed a prayer, I've said this thing, and, but I'm still in the same boat and, and I... I'm still in this fog, and nothing about my life's really changed. I, I would ask you this morning, are you following Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible. The one who heals and enlightens. The one who flips the switch on in our heart and our brain so that we can see and savor Him in Scripture. Can you see Him this morning? Encountering Jesus like James is, is pulling us to to think about it, not only does it heal us, not only does it enlighten us, but it also resurrects us. In 1 Corinthians, I love this. I really love just about every verse I read. I say that, don't I? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. You don't have to flip there. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. I love it. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is a law. But thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is He capable and powerful to heal us, not only is He capable and powerful and willing to enlighten us and to flip the switch on in our minds and hearts to see Him and savor Him, but He is the only one that can resurrect us. It's not our works that save us. It's not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and saying, I'm just going to do better today. A lot of conferences and even a lot of sermons that we listen to and that we sit under a lot of time, we leave thinking, well, I just need to be better and do better. Anybody ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hand, but I've felt that way oftentimes. I hear a sermon or, or, or I sit under some teaching. I think, well, I've got to do better. I've got to have a longer quiet time. I've I just got to press in more. I've got to do better. When Jesus is saying this, just look and live. Look at the cross and live. Because when you see the cross, when you savor what He did, when you realize it was all His work, we begin to live and follow after Him. And then He begins to produce fruit in us. I love this. Max, Max Lucado says it like this, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. God loves you where we are. His love is shed towards us, but I, I want you to understand why He does. It's not because you're a good person or I'm a good person. It's not because we're worthy or we, we earned it or we gained it. He loves us where we are because when His wrath was falling, Jesus took our place. And that is the only reason that there's love 
from God to us. Because Jesus took our sin and our shame and He owned it. He owned it. Took it as His own and allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross so that we might be able to live and have life to the full. Man, did you hear this? So what does it profit you this morning? If you say you have faith, if you say that you've met Jesus, the resurrector and the healer, the one who enlightens, that, that turns the lights on, what profit is it to us if we, we claim that we have faith, but we show no love, we show no mercy, we, we, we don't go like he says, he called us and commissioned us to go. What good is that kind of faith? I'm, I'm asking this morning because I think about my life even often as a believer, knowing that He's producing fruit through me. I think, God, there's so many days that I'm not fruitless. There's so many times that I'm okay with claiming the name Christ and not looking anything like Him. But, so not only is this a charge to, to really examine yourself, are there any works associated with your faith? Because if there's not, The works didn't get you your faith. I want you to hear this. The works didn't earn you your faith. The works didn't get you salvation. But because of salvation, you now can work. Because of salvation, because of Jesus, He can now produce fruit from our lives. Before Christ, He couldn't do that. You say, are you sure? Well, James says that faith without works is dead. So we can have dead faith. Not only that, he says, you believe in God? Oh, that's well. Even the devils and demons believe in God and they tremble. What he was saying, he was arguing for this intellectualization of the gospel, saying, I know it. I know John 3.16. I can quote many scriptures in the Bible. I have it all in my head. I, you know, I got every badge from R-A-G-A. I'm the man, right? James would look back and say, Satan probably has a better doxology than you do. He has a better understanding of who God is and what God is capable of than we do. Scripture says that Satan fell like lightning. You think he knows God's power and his wrath? You think he has an idea of how God works and how God moves? He was in heaven, y'all. So you you have this great intellectual knowledge and you can spout wonderful theology about Jesus and and God and the trichotomy and the dichotomy and all these big theological terms that nobody knows what in the world we're talking about. Great. Satan can do it too. So, So what separates us this morning from dead faith? And what separates us this morning from demonic faith? I'll ask the question, is Christ, are you allowing Christ? Have you submitted your life to Him? Have you repented of your sin? Have you followed Him with everything that you have? And is He producing fruit? And you say, man, you're freaking me out or you're scaring me. Listen, it's not my intention. My intention is this, to plead with you, to examine your heart, to examine your life. Are you in the fold? Because as a shepherd, as a man who stands up and Sunday after Sunday after Sunday preaches to, and, and gets able to, has a wonderful gift of delivering this to you every week, it freaks me out to think that some of us may be sitting here and stand before him one day and him say, I don't even know you, but I, I tithe perfectly. I don't know you. 
to Jamaica and I went to, I went to Israel and I went to all these places and I stood where you said, I don't know you. As a shepherd, as a man who preaches to you, it freaks me out. You say, TJ, you're acting freaked out because I'm freaked out. Because what I want for you is life. I want for you what happened that day when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert and they had been bit by, by vipers. Crazy Old Testament story. You should read it sometime. He puts a, lifts up this pole, lifts up the serpent. He says, look and live. Look and live. He correlates that in John to the gospel where Jesus was, Jesus was strung up on a cross. And you say, TJ, you give us this every Sunday for the rest of my life. He's strung up on a cross and the same invitation is extended to us today. Look and live. Look and live. Lay aside the guilt. Lay aside the shame. Lay aside the exhaustion from working yourself to death, thinking that your works might actually please God or gain some acceptance in His sight. Lay it all down and look and live. Look at Jesus and live. Embrace the work He did on the cross. Realize that it is not by works that you've been saved. You, you haven't, the Scripture doesn't tell us that it's our works that, that has saved us, but when we are saved, we begin to produce works. So I would challenge you, encourage you, examine your heart. Have you put God in this box of intellectualism that says, I know everything about Him, I know Him pretty good, I've read all the cool, hip books, and I have a few theology books sitting on my shelf, and I've even got a few guys' commentaries that I read, and I know a pretty good bit. Have we put him in that box? Or maybe we've put him in the box that says, I can do whatever I want. I can live any way I want to live. I got a grace card. I'll just swipe it. James, in his gospel, is in his, his, in his epistle, he, in his letter, he's writing and he's pulling us to see that this faith walk in Christ is not about just claiming it and going on with life as usual. And it's not about working ourselves to death, exhausting ourselves to please God. This faith walk is about us surrendering everything that we have to the call of God and allowing Him to do the work in us. When he says, can that kind of faith save you? Can, can faith, can a dead faith save you? This morning, I mean, you can, you can, can a dead faith save you? Can a demonic faith save us? Can an intellectual faith save us? So what kind of, what kind of faith saves us? It is a living and active faith that is poured out on us through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And he says, all that would come. He says in Acts 3.19, I tell you this verse all the time. It's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, repent and be converted that your sins might be blotted out. And times of refreshing can come in the presence of the Lord. You say, TJ, how do I have that active living faith? Repent. Repent. 
Get along with God. I don't care if it's here. I don't care if you, you, you come down here. I don't care if you're at home at night. I don't care if it's two weeks from now or six years from now. But at some point in your life, look at the cross and realize that for you to receive Christ, for you to be moved by Christ and regenerated by His Holy Spirit, that you've got to repent of your sin. You've got to turn from it. And at that moment of repentance, when He's drawn us by the power of His Spirit and we respond in faith, He refreshes our souls. cleans us, and Scripture says He takes out this old nasty heart and gives us a brand new heart. He takes out this heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, and you will be new. This morning, this went way more evangelistically than I was thinking it would, or even planned, but that's, I don't care. So here's my question. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes together. I do want us to do this this morning. It's We're going to have a song of response. And listen, it's it's, it's going to be this plain. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you you made some intellectual assumption about Him and realized that, that your heart is empty, your brain is full, but your heart is empty, you realize today that He's calling you to repentance, I would just ask you as your friend, as your shepherd, to surrender. Surrender. There's life and joy, peace that passes all understanding under the love and care and banner of Jesus Christ. And we cannot do this thing alone. He has offered you a great salvation. He's offered you a great salvation. I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Father, You're good. And You give us all that we need. God, Your Word equips us. Your Word challenges us. Your Word changes us. And God, I pray today, Lord, that You would allow Your Word to examine us. You would allow Your Word to to sweep over our hearts and sweep over our minds and sweep over our our whole lives, God, and expose to us the the place where we can let go, the place that we can surrender. And God, I pray for anyone sitting under the sound of my voice that does not know You as Savior and You know that. God, I pray, God, that You give them the boldness and the courage to just step forward and follow You in faith and repentance. God, we love You and we thank You in Jesus' name.